G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. As we explore some things that we tend to sweep aside because our attention to culture and politics has been hijacked. Have you ever been in a gathering where the speaker utters one word and the whole crowd quietens instantly? The word sex. I heard a speaker do this once uh, with the words, Now that I have your undivided attention. Well, the truth is some things capture our imagination more than others. And at a time when we're in the midst of a sexual revolution and even more broadly a cultural revolution, our attention is often arrested by some things that our human nature responds to very readily. So what do we think as Christians when the important issues of life, of culture, of values are swept aside because other issues hijack our attention. Well, the Reverend Dr. Dan Anderson is director of the Lachlan Macquarie Institute based in Canberra. He's our guest through this coming hour. He trains Christian men and women for wise leadership who are biblically faithful, culturally intelligent and positively engaged for the common good. Let me make a special welcome to the Reverend Dr. Dan Anderson. Dan, welcome along to 2020. Thanks so much, Neil. It's lovely to be with you. Dan, an attention-catching introduction there, Uh, but there are some things that capture our imagination, and uh, one of those things, uh, sex, and particularly sexuality. At this time, uh, everybody's got an opinion, everybody's interested in identity. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here on how... Uh, our imagination is captured and our attention is hijacked on so many different levels. Thanks, Neil. I think attention is actually one of the most important categories for us as Christians as we think about discipleship and even ethics. Um, The reason that I say that is uh, if you think about the world that we've created for ourselves at the moment, the most valuable companies in the world um, by market capitalisation are companies that are about monetising attention. So if you think about uh, on, the, on the stock exchange in, the, in America, the most valuable companies like Facebook, um, not in America, but TikTok, even Apple to some extent, what those companies are about is getting your eyeballs to focus on particular things and then selling you advertising associated with that. And it turns out that's the most valuable kind of business that you can be involved in in our world today. That's because our attention is valuable. It's a limited resource, and how we use it is actually one of the most important things questions for us as Christians. So hijacking our attention is not all about morality uh, as an attack on morality, uh, Christian morality, but uh, oftentimes it's driven by money. So the monetizing of our attention, and so something we all need to be somewhat aware of when that's happening to us. Yeah, I guess my point there is that it shows us that our world understands that attention is valuable. But Jesus also says this as well, right? Very famously in in Matthew chapter 6 in his Sermon on the Mount, he says that the eyes are the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. 
Um, that's a really powerful statement about an ethics of attention. What you do with your attention, your eyes, has an impact on the entirety of your life and the health of your life. Um, so our world understands it's important. Jesus understands it's important. Is it, is it, does it have that kind of importance in our own thinking about how we spend our attention? What are your thoughts for the idea that our attention is being hijacked? Uh, we're not all easily just handing over our attention, uh, but there are some things within us uh, where our attention is more uh, centred, and perhaps we could even get into a deeper conversation around what the, the nature of humanity might be a little bit like there. But, but th- mm. this thought that our attention is being hijacked, uh, something that we're not really necessarily easily giving permission to, but it's there and there it is, it is hijacking our attention. Absolutely, I think that's the case. I think there, there are more or less malicious versions of that, um, but it's, it is absolutely the case that because his attention is valuable, people will try to take your attention and use it for their own purposes um, that are not necessarily the purposes of God or even the things that you might want to do. Um, so the most classic example of that, to be honest, I think, is the is the 24-hour news cycle, isn't it? That um, we find ourselves um, presented with news about the world, which is very engaging, um, often drives appeals to particular emotions, whether that's outrage or satisfaction or pleasure. Um, you'd know this, Neil, as, as someone who's involved in this kind of business. We, we want to engage people's attention on the radio or on the news. Um, but the kinds of things that we're engaging their attention for, sometimes they can be valuable. Sometimes they're completely peripheral to the things that are about us living a good life together. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I often think about in terms of an ethics of attention is do the things that I'm paying attention to, particularly in the news, for example, how do they map onto the spheres of responsibility that God has given me in my life? Do I spend a lot of time paying attention to news about things a long way away from me in the world and giving my emotion and my heart and my time to thinking about those things and actually not paying attention to the things that are direct, I'm directly responsible for in my family or my church or my local community, um, things like that? Uh, things we're directly responsible for uh, personally and in our local community, we might even say for a nation, those things can sometimes feel a little bit mundane and uh, to have those swept aside uh, for things that might just uh, be hijacking our often hyperactive imagination, uh, that's a real challenge here. But I want to ask you, because sometimes we might be thinking, that there might be young people who are the prime targets for the way that the technology's changed and the monetizing of our attention. What are your thoughts here for young people at a time like this? I actually think this is one of the most important challenges that, that younger people face. And I, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I have an 11-year-old son. I think one of the most... I actually think this is possibly the most important thing that I do as a dad is teach my son what he's worth paying attention to. And at times, because he's a developing person, he's not actually capable of making good decisions about that for himself sometimes. I put barriers and rules in place for him so that there are certain, like, I, I don't let him spend uh, eight hours a day playing Fortnite as much as he would like to do that um, because I don't think that's worth his ultimate attention at, at that kind of level. Um, and so, yes, setting boundaries for each other, encouraging each other, uh, particularly helping younger people. And if you're, you are a younger person, recognizing that your body and your mind will be drawn to pay attention to certain kinds of things, but they might not be ultimately worth it. Um, so you gave the example of sex right at the start. Um, every advertising company knows that sex is a kind of thing that draws our attention powerfully. Um, 
But we need, and particularly when you're younger, you need to keep asking yourself the question, is this where my eyes need to be directed if I want to have a really good flourishing life? And how do I help myself with that? And our conversation today isn't about sex, uh, but it's the illustration, isn't it? Uh, Mm. Sex sells, sex arrests our attention. And so we get drawn to that at the expense of some other things that might be more valuable, more important. Uh, But barriers and rules... um, those barriers and rules that you talk about as a father and the way that uh, your son, uh, you know, you're raising children, and so you set barriers and rules for their own good uh, so that they can actually rest under your morality and your values until they're old enough to be able to make their own decisions. Uh, we've noted some of those barriers and rules that we've had uh, in our society have been uh, evaporating of recent years and almost accelerating in recent years. What are the values of barriers and rules for a nation? Because a lot of people think their freedom is freedom from barriers and rules. What are your thoughts here around uh, about those barriers and rules and how they might contribute to our well-being? I think this is actually one of the most challenging questions that we face as a society, which is that we don't have an ethics of attention um, at, a, at a public level, we just effectively, we maybe that's saying it too strongly, we do say there are certain kinds of things that shouldn't be shown or different ways of um, monetizing people's attention that we shouldn't allow, but those things are pretty minimal. So, for example, when I walk through a shopping mall, for example, um, I'm assaulted constantly um, by signage and moving, flickering, advertising um, by a whole vis- visual sphere of things that are trying to grab my attention in order to sell me a product. And we don't spend any time really at all asking ourselves questions about the ethics of, of that space. Um, so what kinds of signage should be allowed? How much? How much of my time should be assaulted by um, kind of visual appeals for me to kind of pay attention to things? Are there spaces in our society where we shouldn't allow that at all, where there's maybe... There should be spaces that that kind of appeal for attention shouldn't be allowed, gardens and things like that that are a little bit more reflective. Um, that's a conversation that actually a good society needs to have. Where, the, where is this appropriate? Where isn't it? Um, what kinds of things should we be enabled to kind of put up in each other's faces? What should we refrain from? Um, like you say, our society has largely become fascinated with the idea of removing restrictions on on these kinds of freedoms and there's an important freedom of speech that we need to defend there but we also need to have a helpful and thoughtful conversation about how to help each other to pay attention to the things that ultimately matter things that ultimately matter don't always feel good though do they and uh, in some sense it feels like uh, the monetizing of our attention is about what makes me feel good what applies mm-hmm. to my aspirations as a consumer whether it's the way I look and the way I dress and the car I drive and the house I live in in a very materialistic world uh, because we've in some sense as a nation lost sight of a level of spirituality a little bit more depth and reflection about what these things might mean for our whole future that uh, that somehow or other what makes me feel good has become more important than what will be the best for the outcomes of my own family and for the broader nation altogether. Any thoughts here around that sort of materialistic world and that's part of the hijacking? Yeah, I think that is a real challenge for us. Um, When you live in a diverse and very large society, it's very hard to prescribe for each other what actually is good 
um, and to find some sort of agreement on that. And so we tend to default to this is what I feel and it's pretty hard to challenge each other's feelings. Um, but there are lots of ways in which we can get above that kind of conversation. Like as a society, by and large, we agree that that kind of physical health is an important thing. We all agree that it's it's better to kind of be engaged in some forms of exercise and to encourage each other to do that and to create spaces where it's uh, we're able to engage in physical exercise, for example. So our cities do have parks in them. Um, we we give concessions and make spaces for um, for park runs on a Saturday morning, that sort of stuff. Why not the same kinds of conversations about our the health of our attention economy and how we spend things like that? So, um, but that does require us getting a little bit beyond just this is what makes me feel good in the moment. It never feels good to get up in the morning and go for a run, right? Like it feels pretty hard, and particularly the first few times you do it. But it feels pretty good afterwards. Um, and so sometimes working out how to delay gratification or be engaged in a task that's a little bit difficult because it'll bear fruit down the track, that's just part of being a mature, healthy person, I think, isn't it? Dan, if we're talking about Christians and what makes us different in the way we ought to be thinking about what we allow to hijack our attention and our imagination, where do we come to in the scriptures? Uh, what sort of things come to mind for you? I think probably the most um, important place to start thinking about this is Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, I mentioned a little while ago, um, Neil, that in the in chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus starts to speak a little bit about what has central priority in, in, in the human life. And he, he compares a whole bunch of sort of double things. He talks about... Um, uh, you can't you, you, to store up your treasure in heaven. So to kind of have a heavenly treasure um, rather than an earthly treasure. And he says no one can serve two masters. And he talks about trying to serve God and money. He talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. And, it, and it's a kind of picture of having double vision. If you have double vision, you can't make good decisions. And he ends the whole section by saying um, that we worry about all sorts of goods in our lives, like what we'll wear, what we'll eat, and we chase after these things. And he says, our Heavenly Father knows that we need them, and instead we should seek first the kingdom of God. That should be our priority. And I think in the background there is a picture that Jesus is giving us, that we have a sort of worry or attention budget in our lives. There are only a certain number of things that we can really be worried about in a day. And what we need to do is make sure we spend that worry budget wisely, spend it on the things that are worth worrying about, worth paying attention to, and the thing, and not on the things that aren't. So if you're doing a little bit of self-evaluation on a personal level, you can actually say, what are the things that worry me right now? And uh, some of those things might come around material things, they might come around relationships, they might come around to all sorts of issues that might be going on in the media. But um, but actually making an evaluation about what you're worried about so that you can put the kingdom of God first. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So there's something you can do personally. And we might talk about how that works uh, in a community and, and for a nation. But But personally working out your own worries, that would be a good starting point, Dan. I absolutely think that's right. And and worry is just the most focused form of attention. But attention is broader than the category of worry. And you, what you're suggesting we could do more broadly, we could actually think about across a day, what do I spend most of my time paying attention to? How much am I flicking through my social media? How much am I spending listening to podcasts or the news? Um, and does the, does the thing, the, the, the range of things I'm paying attention to, does that really map well onto the priorities that God has for my life? And if not, how can I make that fit a little bit better? And like you say, I can start by doing that 
as an individual, but it's not just an individual question. I need to then think about my family and my church community. And as a whole, how does how does my church community focus its attention on the things that really matter? And can we encourage each other to do that better? You know, uh, what comes to mind is you're sharing those things. And I'm often, uh, as listeners will know, looking for those practical ways that you can apply some of the deeper things we often will talk about. But uh, when you share those sorts of uh, thoughts, simple things like pray, read your Bible and share your faith. Uh, While that sounds for some a little too simplistic, it is really a practical starting point uh, for where you ought to put your attention and not be hijacked away from those things. So a lot of people, you know, I think they might think of it as a cliche. Uh, You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to share your faith. But those things actually are really firm foundations that put you into a right trajectory for getting some of these priorities right and not allowing your attention to be hijacked. What are your thoughts about, you know, simple things applied in the life of an individual? I think you've nailed it there, Neil. Like, particularly with prayer and Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, just before he gets to the section I've mentioned, talks about prayer, and he actually teaches his disciples to pray. And I think if you look at the structure of Jesus' sermon, his lecture there to his disciples, prayer is at the very heart of what he has to teach them. And one of the striking things that Jesus says is that when you pray, you should go in secret and speak to your heavenly Father. And it's about attention, right? Some people pray, he says, seeking the attention of the people around them. Other people pray with their attention focused on God. And the thing that's striking that Jesus has to say here is that words that are spoken to God in secret are more powerful than any number of words spoken in public on the street corner for the attention of other people. So if you want to know whether your attention is in the right place, you can ask yourself, is my attention directed towards God in prayer? Um, And that ultimately, those few words spoken to God in prayer are going to be more powerful than hundreds and thousands of words spoken in parliament in public on the street corner. Words spoken to God in prayer, more powerful than what gets spoken on the street corner. Uh, But let me just ask you, because what happens in the prayer closet, what happens in that time of prayer, uh, is the reshaping of our values. Um, And that, of course, as we recognize on a national level, is where the values of a nation are set is in the the field, field of politics. And so this gets us into some of the areas that you love to talk about, politics and culture. But really what happens in the heart of the individual is going to be the platform by which any sort of change and influence happens. Absolutely. And I I think one of the things to think about there is that there's a kind of rule for life, which is that you you become like what you look at. Um, And in, in politics, if you spend all your time looking at the opposition, effectively become the mirror image of the thing that you're opposed to. And that may or may not be particularly godly, and usually it's pretty ungodly. If you spend your time with your, your, your eyes focused on your heavenly father, you'll become more like him, which will make you more effective in politics. And that political sphere matters, um, and being effective in it matters, but you, you actually become more effective counterintuitively by not focusing the core of your attention on that thing. You focus your core of your attention on the Lord and seeking his will. Yeah. I guess there's an awful lot of depth we can go into and listeners might have their own contribution or a question here, but uh, becoming what you might look like. And if you applied that to what's happening politically in Australia, where you've got two sides, 
um, supposedly opposites, not really, because it does seem to be that the conservative side of politics has looked at the opposition and and seen, just like you're, you're saying, is like a mirror, and they've become a little bit like that. And that's how, I guess, somewhere on the right you might move left, uh, depending on who you're looking at. And so our Christian ethic applied into all of that is going to be the thing that makes some sense and makes some sort of uh, differentiation between two sides. Hey, we're going to continue this conversation after Vision National News. I want to invite you to join into the conversation. 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is the Reverend Dr. Dan Anderson. He's director of the Lachlan Macquarie Institute based in Canberra. They've got a number of things coming up, and I'm going to give you the website, LMI. Very simple to remember, lmi.org.au. They've got something special called the download that I want to ask Dan about. It's a a summer 2024 program, starts in January in the Canberra region, designed for 18 to 25-year-olds. Yes, young people. A one-week intensive program, and I'm going to ask him about other bigger programs that LMI is running, so valuable for getting a right thinking on how we think about life as Christians. But I wanted to ask you, I mentioned it just before the news, you've got a program that's coming up called The Download, and it's specifically aimed at young people, 18 to 25-year-olds. That's coming up. It's going to start at the end of January. Uh, Give us an insight here. The the thought that you're looking for young people because you want to help their thinking get onto a biblical trajectory about how society works. Give us your thoughts here about The Download. Yeah, thanks, Neil. One of the realities, as, as we were talking about before, is that for young people, our attention is is grabbed constantly um, by things that are going on around us, whether that's from being part of a gamer culture through to all sorts of other sorts of things in our media and environment. Um, what we're wanting to do is take some solid time away together to actually give our attention to stuff that is really important and matters. So the download is about helping people to develop a biblical foundation for thinking about our identity. So who are we as people created for a relationship with God? Um, It's about studying the history of the ideas that have shaped our society so we can understand our world more clearly. And it's about learning from those who are also at the forefront of making cultural impact. So learning from other leaders who are engaging in cultural leadership, in politics, in ethics, uh, and learning about how we can live our faith authentically and positively in today's world. Is it fair enough to make an assessment of young people that you ought not to put a broad brush across every one of those young people and say they're all distracted and they're all got their attention hijacked? There actually are a whole lot of young people, uh, a really significant number of young people who are on a trajectory and a different understanding to what perhaps the culture is uh, moving. It's like a counter-cultural young person who is interested in God and in the Bible and in those values and in politics. Uh, what are your thoughts here about young people? You can't just put a, a broad brush across everyone and say everyone's hijacked uh, by their attention, can you? Of, of course not, Neil. I think that's one of the wonderful realities about being one of the followers of Jesus. He's got his people in every generation and he's always raising up new young people and calling them to follow himself. And every generation has um, its cultural challenges that it's that it's wrestling with, whether that was living through the sexual revolution in the 1960s or living through the kind of age of terror in the early 2000s and, 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 and fears and anxieties that came with that. Um, for the current generation, there, there are going to be challenges. And one of those challenges is just how effectively our culture has 
developed tools for grabbing our attention and directing it towards particular ends. And, but of course, the spirit is at work, raising up people who push back on that and think about how to live their lives with their attention directed on what really matters. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned uh, that you're going to be talking to young people about at the download in January is this issue of identity. And it does appear that so many more people today understand that identity is important. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all these big debates over pronouns and uh, sexual revolution the way we're talking about it and uh, push back against those uh, those boundaries that had been in place that were sort of set there with a Christian ideal. Uh, what are your thoughts here for identity and how you actually approach that with young people? Because uh, they're all going to be in the in the mix of understanding identity in a deeper way and bringing a biblical understanding of identity is where you're going to be at. So how do you actually bring that biblical understanding, Dan? I think one of the realities for our culture at the moment, as you just said, is that it it recognises that identity is really important and that's something that Christians have always recognised. What we do flows from who we are and who we think we are. And who we are flows from the kinds of relationships that we're in with other people um, and ultimately the relationship that we're in with God. So our relationships are what create who we are. Who we are flows out into what we do in the world. Um, and so understanding that is is actually really important. Um, and one of the things that we'll do as we explore a biblical understanding of our identity is start by thinking about the relationships that God has put us in. First of all, the relationship with himself um, as creator, as the as our father. Um, then thinking about the relationships, the way that relationship is marred by sin, by our rebellion against God. Um, we trace that story through the Bible and see God's redemptive plan to bring us back into a relationship with himself so that our identity is again changed as we're united with Christ, as we become one with him, that then flows out into a way, a distinctive way of living in the world. For listeners, and sometimes it's easy to be a little bit intellectual about these things and talk about, you know, a contrasting set of rules. But identity is more than that, isn't it? Not just a set of rules. And if you're sowing some seeds of where the life of a young person might grow and develop into maturity, we're talking about aligning with a living person. It's being like Jesus the one who is the perfect image of God. So while you might want to try and quantify a set of rules that might look like they're a contrast to a current society that's been hijacked in its attention, really we're talking about a person here, aren't we? And when we talk about relationship, how how do you think about that? Because when you're presenting a set of understandings for young people and you say these are centered on Jesus, uh, this this is a special relational way of thinking about how those contrasts happen? I think increasingly as I as I grow older and as I've been Christian a Christian for longer, the thing that excites me and just fills me with a sense of joy and wonder is the idea that I could be a student of Jesus. Um, I I did my PhD research into the topic of forgiveness and the the ethics of forgiveness. And one of the things that you start to discover, even secular philosophers recognize this, is that Jesus transformed the way that human society thinks about this idea of forgiveness. He, he added something quite unique to it. Um, and the more that I study and think about forgiveness, the more I'm like, wow, we need that in our lives and in our communities. And Jesus just has this unique 
insight into how we needed it and how to do it. And so what I want to become is a student of him. I want to learn live well. As I do that, I, I recognize that becoming a student of Jesus, a really deep student of Jesus, is more than just learning a set of rules um, or learning some kind of habits. It's actually starting to learn the way that he thinks about the world and to learn to see myself in the same kinds of relationships as he did. So he invites me to call his heavenly father, his God father, he invites me to come alongside him and to have that same kind of relationship with God um, and to see myself as created for the same kinds of relationships as he has with the people around him. So being a student of Jesus is about becoming like him in a whole bunch of different dimensions. Being a student of Jesus, uh, I'm just picturing like the disciples uh, who walked those dusty trails, uh, who were entrusted to turn the world upside down. And uh, that three years or so that the disciples spent with Jesus, uh, it was the living personal Jesus, not a set of rules that they were trying to follow. Uh, that's the way, you know, look... There's, there's challenging things here, but if I throw you into the deep end here, I mean, how do you teach young people when you've got the download coming up in January? How do you teach young people that that is the way that you need to think about the foundation for how you think? Yeah, it's, it is really challenging. And in, in some ways, I have to be completely honest with you. You can't teach people to become thorough students. Of, it's like it's, it's not how um, and, it's, and it's not going to be a step of becoming a, a student of Jesus. Like like Jesus sat down on the mountain in, and gave the Sermon on the Mount. He gave a, a lecture to a large crowd of people. And then he invited people from that to come and to build their lives on his words, which meant, like you say, traveling with him, observing his relationships with other people, um, spending time asking him questions and dwelling really deeply in his sometimes very paradoxical or strange-sounding teaching. Um, and that opportunity is still open for us. Um, what Jesus did at, before he left um, to ascend to his father was actually commission his disciples to create you know, gospels, words that we could study, that would give us the experience that they had, that, that, that we could share. And you know, so I, I love the beginning of um, 1 John, the first letter that John writes, where he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have touched with our hands, this we declare to you. And, and what he's saying is the experience that I had of living with Jesus and being able to touch him and do the washing up after, after dinner with him, I'm going to give you that experience as best I can through the things that I've written. Um, and so we have that opportunity as well to, to kind of dwell deeply with Jesus and to learn from him like that. So this opportunity, dwelling deeply with Jesus, and then there come some of those mundane aspects, uh, you know, understanding our history, understanding mm. our culture. And as you bring those sorts of insights, is that the sort of foundation that's required and is necessary for a young person to be thinking about if they're going to say, I want to influence my world today and in the realm of politics, which is where we shape the values of a nation, is the history and culture those things this is the sort of thing you're going to be exploring with young people absolutely yeah so the first and most important priority for us is to have our attention focused on jesus and on his words but then as though we're kind of standing with jesus looking out from where he stands and looking at the world around us um and and, and being able to say okay what is happening in this society why bring 
image of God's kingdom to bear in this society. And to do that, yes, you need to know who are the rulers and the influencers. You need to know why do people think they're the way that they do so that we can address our words and our lives um, in effective ways to the assumptions that people have around us. Um, and so that, that's a, going back to our conversation about attention. That's how our attention as Christians needs to work. It needs to have a central place for looking at Jesus and being students of him. And then it's as though we're standing with Jesus and looking out at the world and asking how do the things that we've learned through our relationship with him come to bear on this particular time and place. And no guarantees that the young people that come along to your program called The Download uh, in January, no guarantees they're all going to be going on to become world changers. But I imagine if you don't start somewhere, uh, you'll end up nowhere. So you've got to start with what young people will be inspired to be there. I imagine, too, it's also what parents or grandparents might see certain gifts in their children or their grandchildren and do whatever they can to get them to a program like that because they recognise there's real potential uh, in where they're going or they might have seen something special in the way that their faith is growing to maturity. Any thoughts here for the sort of young person who would be at the download and, and whether you know it's worthwhile pushing if you're a parent or a grandparent to get your family there? Yeah, on that final point, I think often we've run the download a number of times in the past and it's been a very powerful um, program for people who come. But very frequently, uh, uh, the people who arrive there come because a grandparent or a parent saw that opportunity and made it possible. They, they, they provided the finances or they told them about the opportunity. So if that's a situation that someone who's listening today finds himself in, then I'd really encourage them to to make it possible for someone else. That's very valuable. Um you mentioned the idea that, yeah, not everyone who comes will be world changers. And one of my thoughts on that, and this, this is a part of the way that I think more broadly about training people for politics and cultural leadership, is we're bad at picking winners. Um, Jesus tells us right from the outset, actually, that we look at, at, at people and we have a, a kind of worldly set of assessments about what is going to be powerful. Um, but the, the power that is from God, the wisdom that is God, often looks like foolishness to the people around us. So when Jesus started out his world-changing mission, he picked 12 people, none of whom were particularly powerful and a bunch of them who were quite silly. Like, um, and he kind of spent three years investing in them in order to go and change the world. So I try to keep reminding myself is that I'm, I'm always going to be a bad judge, actually, using external experiences, appearances of what God will actually use. What really matters is that people come who love the Lord or who want to grow in loving the Lord and who are keen to serve him in whatever way he calls them to. And then I'll let the Lord Jesus make a decision about how effective and how he's going to use that service. That's a powerful piece of wisdom there because I think as you're sharing those things, we might all be able to identify some young people in our own history who started off and it looked a little bit like they're on a bad trajectory. You know, there's some no hopers in there and all of a sudden something happens and then they begin to flourish and uh, some of those values come together and they start to appreciate taking personal responsibility and then uh, blossom into something of a being a person of influence. And it's interesting, isn't it, Dan, when you talk about who should be there and maybe don't judge a book by its cover, but when our attention has been hijacked, we've got to say, will it fix itself? And I, and I'm, you know, I'm only preempting an answer to that by saying I don't think it will fix itself. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely not. That's right. Like, um, we are up against 
um, institutions and technology that is far more powerful and persuasive than we are. Like if, if you just think one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be able to kind of put aside your, your Facebook or TikTok addiction, um, you're going to suddenly spend be able to spend much more time in focused prayer, it's just going to happen to you one day, then you, you're absolutely dreaming. Like that's, that's not the way that it works. Um, you're going to have to take small steps of responsibility to change habits and practices in your life, to start to focus your attention on the things that really matter. And you're going to need a community of people around you to keep you accountable and supporting you in that. That's how God will work to make those things happen. Yeah. Dan, what will these young people come away with? Uh, what sort of areas are you going to be focusing on about how they can engage in culture uh, in their own communities and perhaps even on a state or a federal political scale? Uh, what sort of things do you do you do you try and sow into their lives so far as the actual issues that are going on today? Yeah, so the basic structure of the program is that we start the day with with devotions, we spend some time in God's Word, and then we have a really in-depth lecture um, with Dr. Steve Shavura uh, that takes us through the kind of his- the history of ideas that have shaped our culture, um, and we move um, chronologically uh, through time over the last couple of hundred years of kind of key cultural m- moments. Then we have some um, more focused um, seminars on particular topics. So we think about um, science and the kind of Christian engagement with with the scientific world. We think about law. We think about economics. Um, we think about politics. So, kind of key areas of cultural leadership and um, influence. Um, how do Christians engage in those spaces? What are things that we need to learn about those spaces? And then, in our evening sessions, um, we focus much more on a what we what we might call a biblical theology of 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 humanity and um, what does it mean to be a person created in god's image for a relationship with him and we trace the story of that through the bible through for creation for redemption new creation so what we're trying to do across the whole thing there is give people a sense of what the bible has to say about who we are um what the culture is and how it's been shaped and some key areas in which we might engage as christians in order to to have an influence and to bring a christian understanding to bear I know there'll be some listening and uh, young people and uh, those parents and grandparents we were talking about uh, thinking, I've got a young person in mind who would really benefit from uh, or really flourish in the sort of thing that you're going to bring with the download. And they'd be asking, you know, is there any sort of scholarships and things like that that, you know, maybe we'd love to be there. Uh, We've got some real gift and talent, but we just haven't got the finance right now. Things are tight. Is there any way that there is a a form of a scholarship or anything like that to get a young person to the download? The reality is at the moment, we don't have the financial capacity for that, Neil. And it's something that we're really, we wish that we did. Um, it's, It's pretty tricky for us even to put the program on Um, So one of the things that I would love and encourage people to do is if you have some financial capacity, like if you're able to pay for someone to be able to come, um, you could get in contact with us or even just talk to the person that you'd like to have come and offer to pay for them. Um, You can sign up through our website, thedownload.org.au. If you're happy to sign someone up, um, obviously with their permission and pay for them, that would be brilliant. 
That's a wonderful idea, and uh, it's not just about what young person, 18 to 25, would be at the download, but it may be that you've got no young person in mind, but you've got a little extra capacity where you might be able to sponsor a young person. So uh, let me just uh, give for listeners in this moment, as you're thinking through whether or not you could be uh, potentially a sponsor of a young person, uh, just go to the LMI website, lmi.org.au. Let me come back to, it was not only a few minutes left in the conversation, there's a perennial sort of question that people have, Dan, and I'm interested in your thoughts because a lot of people think still that somehow or other Christians uh, ought to be involved in spiritual things with a local church, but never in politics. Uh, let me ask you uh, your thoughts here, because I mentioned that politics is the way a nation's values are shaped. And uh, to be an influence uh, in the kingdom of God, uh, what are your thoughts here for Christians who are thinking that somehow or other you have to keep your faith separate from politics? I think that there's a sense that there is something right that people are trying to guard against there, which is that sometimes we th- politics wants you to think that it's really important, that, that, that being in the political sphere is how you make a difference in the world. And, and I'm not sure that Jesus thinks that. I think he thinks that proclaiming the gospel and sharing our lives with the people around us. That is actually the most powerful and influential task you can be involved in. And so if your priority shifts away from authentic Christian faithful living to political engagement, you've you've lost the plot as a Christian. So so sometimes that's what people mean. Um, but but there, there, there's a way of understanding that idea that we should keep spiritual and political life separate that I think is wrong. Um, it, it, it presumes a distinction between those two things that I don't think the Bible has any place for. Um, if you're someone who really follows Jesus um, and wants to be a student of him and see his teaching shape our lives, you mean that not just individually, but you mean that in the lives of our families and our communities and our neighbours, and that's politics. As soon as we start to engage with each other about how we're going to live good, flourishing lives, and as Christians we mean lives that are shaped by Jesus, that means doing it at a community level, which means engaging with each other politically. Uh, being salt and light, uh, occupying till he comes. Uh, even the concept of kingdom is itself a political concept because uh, a king is the one who's in charge of government. Hey, let me just, uh, one more thing before I let you go, Dan. We've been talking about young people, but what about uh, those who are a little bit older and uh, those who are involved in uh, perhaps their own communities? Uh, they're wanting to uh, engage and become trained in some ways to involve themselves more. Uh, you've got some other programs too for uh, for older ones, uh, a summer uh, session that's coming up, the Summer Program 24, um, the Residential Fellowship Program uh, for next year. What, what's that one all about? Yeah, our flagship program is a residential fellowship program that we run on our campus here in Canberra. Um, what that is is a three-month training program for people who are really taking steps towards um, political or cultural leadership. Um, so, what people do is they come, we run classes with some um, amazing faculty from around the country. Uh, we run classes in theology, history of ideas, in political philosophy, as well as a bunch of practical skills training in how to speak to the media, how to do negotiation. Uh, we do a, a placement into the federal parliament where you can work in the office of an MP. Um, it's it's really a, a unique opportunity. That's aimed at people who are probably in their mid 20s through to mid 30s or a little bit beyond that who've got some life and work experience who are wanting to head more in that political and cultural leadership space if if you're someone like that reach out to us through our website and i can talk, talk to you more about it 
And I think you've got your next uh, program starting very soon. And I think it's probably too late to register for this one that's coming up, the Residential Fellowship Program. But you could certainly uh, register for the next one coming in next year. Uh, let me give that. Yep. Exactly right, Neil. Yeah, so now is the key time if you're interested in our program that starts in March to, to let us know. Okay. The Reverend Dan Anderson is Director of the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. To connect with Dan, you might even have a question you want to uh, pass by him, lmi.org.au, lmi.org.au. And uh, I think listeners can subscribe for a monthly newsletter there that uh, give you a reminder of the next programs that are coming up with the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. Dan, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.